It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome in to another episode of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. Your solo host for today. I gave Steve the day off. He had some stuff he had to do. And I have a lot of audio that I wanted to throw at you anyway. So it just made sense. I'm going to be solo on this here podcast. I'm also feeling a little under the weather. So if I sound raspy at any points, keep your complaints to yourself. Part of the reason that I'm going to be letting other people talk throughout this podcast. But the other part of it is because we've gotten a lot of really interesting interviews over the last several days, and I want to share them with y'all. We had, obviously, Dennis Allen spoke for about 40 minutes out in Phoenix at the NFL owners meetings. We also caught up with Mickey Loomis. And then yesterday, which would be Tuesday, we are recording this on Wednesday, I was out at the LSU Pro Day, and we got to catch up with the Saints linebackers coach, Michael Hodges who we don't get to speak to that often, so that was interesting. And then offensive line coach Doug Marone, it was also just an event that had a ton of Saints influence with Joe Woods, Marcus Robertson, Todd Grantham, and others all in attendance, either leading drills or watching the action close at hand. Bill Belichick was also there. Bit of star power for your LSU Pro Day. We're going to get into a lot of that, so we're going to talk about the news and notes in this first segment. We're going to get more into the Pro Day and a local prospect that I think is going to be interesting to watch. Then in the final segment, I'm going to title it, Why is Everyone So Mad? And I'm going to get into two topics that I think people are genuinely overreacting about as it pertains to the Saints. But news first, and the biggest thing that happened in this past week, which Doug Marone confirmed, is that the Saints are hiring Jari Evans. Yes, that Jari Evans, the former All-Pro New Orleans Saints guard, He was serving in the diversity internship slot along with Ty Warren last season, and he is now hired into the role that was vacated by Zach Streif. It's a little confusing how it's set up this year. They obviously already hired Kevin Carberry, who will be an offensive line assistant apparently, while Jari Evans will be the assistant offensive line coach. Call it whatever you want. It is a good hire for the Saints. They get another former player in the building. And it always made sense when Zach Streif went out of town to Denver. I think the first thing I tweeted was, man, Jari Evans would make a whole lot of sense in that spot if the Saints can get him there. And it was really, to me, it was just a question of whether Jari wanted to coach. It's obviously a big, big time commitment, right? I feel like once coaches get into it, they usually stay into it. But there's a lot of people who just don't want to. Like Drew Brees, for instance, has told everyone straight up, I do not want to be in coaching. I have kids. I want to spend time with my kids. And when you're coaching, that is all you are doing all the time, right? Like, so it is a big invest and it's a good thing for the Saints that Jari has decided that's what he wants to do. Cause I think he's going to be a big influence in that locker room, particularly with the younger players who, who I think, and Doug Marone mentioned this, 
it's kind of hard to relate to kind of a 60 year old dude. <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice to have a, a guy who played in the last two decades kind of leading you through some of this stuff. Having a younger person in that role, which obviously Streif qualified as, is helpful. It helps you relate to the players. The players can relate to you. They, they can remember seeing you play, right? Um, and so I think that's that's important. And here is Doug Marone talking about that hire and, and why Jari was such a good fit in that role. I think he was thinking about it. You know, I think that's that's the, the the first stage. I think a lot of these players, I've 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 fallen short for all my players because if you ever talk to anyone who's ever coached, the first thing I tell them is, you know, whatever you do, don't don't be a coach. You know what I'm saying? And the reason why I say it, it's a great profession. You know, it's a it's a tough business. You know, you move around quite a bit, and you move around with your family. But I think you know, Jari was into a lot of things when he first got done. He's he's very successful. And I just think that he started to work with some players and started training some players, and and you just have a love for it. You know, you you love the game, and you know now you're trying to say, okay, how do I get in? How do I see where I fit? And you know, the opportunity presented itself for us, and we have him back, and and I'm excited because I think he'll be, um, you know, a great asset for for our coaching staff, but more so probably the players. I think that you know, uh, a person that's had a lot of success. Uh, has played and done everything the right way is a great example for younger players coming into the league of what they need to do. And I think, you know, Jarrett's experience there and, um, you know, the age where he's a little bit closer to them, where I'm getting a little bit old in the tooth, I think that, that, helps, out, that, that helps out quite a bit. You look at this coaching staff and there's a lot of, there's a lot of talented people on it. And it's going to be interesting to see how much they lose with Zach Streif going out to Denver. The other name that you might recall being hired is Kevin Carberry. He was the former Rams offensive line coach, and it appears he has been hired into one of the assistant roles. I think that was kind of confusing as you built it out of, okay, what exactly is Jari Evans doing versus what exactly is Kevin Carberry doing versus what exactly is Doug Marone doing? And I think we'll still have to see how that develops. Last year, Zach Streep was working more with the younger players Right. And he was helping them develop. And Doug Marone was focusing more with the older players. And I don't know if you're going to have that same kind of platoon. What you might do this year with Jari is you have him work with the guards. He worked with Cesar Ruiz a lot last year. And I think you saw a lot of development there that you hadn't seen. And I don't know if that's specifically because of Jari or if it's because it kind of just clicked for Caesar, who finally had a full offseason. But I think having someone who can say that they were a premier guard in the NFL is actually very helpful because no shade on Zach Streif, but he was a tackle. He didn't play guard in the NFL. So there's only so much that he can impart uh, to a guard who's trying to learn the fine details of playing guard in the NFL. And that's why I always like the idea of having Jari on the coaching staff. And, you know, I don't know how involved Kevin Carberry is going to be or what role he's going to have, but even he is a former offensive line coach in the NFL. And to have him in the assistant role is, is very valuable. But all right, moving on a little bit. So we got some info about Trevor Penning this week, and that was always going to be the case when we talked to Doug Marone. We also heard from DA on Penning, but I thought what Doug Marone had to say was particularly interesting because he likened Trevor to Jari in the sense that they're both finishers. They finish plays, and if you don't understand what that means, go watch any Trevor Penning clips, and you can see him just throwing players out of bounds. Like That's how you finish a play. You have to have that in you. You have to have that 
that drive, that kind of gear in you to just not be satisfied just blocking a play. You want to block them into the dirt. And that's what Trevor has. And this is kind of a trimmed down answer. He talked a lot on Trevor Penning. I'm not going to play the whole clip for you because it's about three minutes long. But, you know, he talked about the development that was occurring with Trevor Penning and how it had had really kind of taken a leap forward during those joint practices with the Packers last year. And one thing that Dennis Allen confirmed this week is the Saints will be having joint practices with the Chargers. And so if you're wondering, oh, why is there, there why what's the value in having those practices? Well, for someone like Penning, who didn't get a lot of reps last year, who only was able to play in the preseason, then he got hurt, and then he was out 12 weeks, and then he came back and he was learning the jumbo tight end role, which is tough for a rookie who hasn't even figured out how to play in the NFL yet. All of a sudden, he's doing all these different things. And then he finally got incorporated into the offense in week 18, and then obviously had the list Frank injury, and, and he's recovering from that. But it was at the joint practices with the Packers that, from Doug's perspective, really helped him kind of get off the ground. And I don't think it's a coincidence that suddenly you have competition and you are advancing more quickly and you are, you know, real competition, not just your other, your opponents trying to work on their own stuff. These guys are actually trying to beat you and make you look bad. And so I think when you're a competitive person that does bring things out of you that you might not have, that you might not get in a practice setting, especially someone like Trevor who thrives on that, you know, volatility, I think would be a good way to put it. But here's what Doug had to say about Trevor and Trevor's development to this point in the offseason. Doing really well. Uh, you know, he's in the building every day. I mean, he's he's doing everything he can as well as like Caesar, you know, also is coming off an injury. So they're in there. Our trainers are doing a great job. So we're excited for them to come back. But, you know, there'll be a progression again, you know, so, um, you know especially for Trevor, more so than Caesar because Caesar, you know, obviously, you know, played a bunch. But, um, you know, looking for him to get get him back on track and see how we can accelerate that. That'll be our challenge for when he does come back. You know, how do we accelerate it? Because, you know, we're looking to see, you know, the player in year two of a full year perform at the, the level that we expect him to and he expects to perform at. So we have to, as we go through this off season, figure out how we can accelerate that and, and create a good plan, which we've already been in discussion talking about. Yeah, I think, and Dennis Allen, when he was asked, he said, the sky is the limit. That's a direct quote for Trevor. And it's just a matter of whether he can stay on the field. And that's what you want to hear is that he is at the facility and he is working diligently this offseason because I don't think a lot of people are concerned with his abilities. I don't think a lot of people are concerned with what he's able to do on the field, at least not in terms of being a competent starting left tackle in the NFL. I think he showed that last year. But what we don't know, is whether he can get through a 17-game season. I mean, when you look at the number of snaps he had on the field versus the number of significant injuries, it's not a pretty picture. And with a big guy like that, you know, you'd almost rather see upper body injuries, right? Like Anders Pete was injury prone, but it was it was often like, oh, he broke his forearm, he fractured his thumb, stuff that is just kind of a freak accident, but you can look at it and say, there's not a ton he can do differently to avoid that. It's just, you know, bad luck. And you can say the same thing about Trevor, but it becomes more concerning because you can't just put his foot in a cast and say, go do it. You desperately need your feet as an offensive lineman. And if 
those are letting you down, you're in trouble. I mean, that's true of a lot of positions on the field, but at offensive line, when you're 300 pounds and you're trying to push back another 300-pound guy, keep up with him around the edge, you know, that's <laughs> that gets ugly fast. So that's going to be something to watch, but it is good to hear that both he and Cesar Ruiz are, are on track there. DA said that they expect him to be ready at some point in camp. The team is hopeful that both he and Ruiz will be ready to, at the start of camp. I think it's a little more likely that Ruiz is ready for the beginning of the camp process because his injury came about three weeks before Trevor's. So he has a bit of a head start on that recovery process. And so if there's a timeline you're trying to hit, his will be slightly earlier. So we'll have to watch that. But one other update on the injured player, and I'm going to play the entire clip for you so there's no misconstrued uh, tone or anything. And it's Dennis Allen talking about Michael Thomas. He says he's not 100% yet. Keep in mind it is March, but this is what he had to say on Mike Thomas and his non-timeline. Yeah, I don't want to get into specifics on that, um, uh, but yet, look, he's making progress in the recovery. Um, he's not 100%, um, and and we're gonna we're gonna be cautious with it um, and take our time and and um, you know we don't really want to put him out there till he's 100%. What does it say for the, I guess, the trust between both sides that he continues to want to try to make it work in New Orleans? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, look, I think the acquisition of of, of Derek was was big, and 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 that uh, thought process. Um, I don't want to speak for Mike, um, but I also just think that you know, I I think Mike knows, and 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 a lot of our players know that that you know they work they work for one of the better organizations in our league, and and. Um, you know, we're going to have a chance to, to do some good things this year. You said not 100% because people are going to jump out. Like, is that an optimistic, not 100%? Like, do you expect him? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I expect him to be fully healthy and ready to go. Um, when that point in time is, I, I don't want to get into those speculations, but, um, but yeah, we feel good about where he's at. Yeah, so, I mean, whenever you hear that regarding Mike Thomas, and I tweeted it basically like, Stop me if you've heard this one before. Mike Thomas is not 100%. But it is a little tongue-in-cheek because you have to understand he had surgery in November, right? He injured himself in week three. He, The team and Mike opted to try to rehab it without surgery with the hope that he could return in the 2022 season, right? Like if he had the surgery immediately, you could argue that maybe he should have had it immediately. But I think the idea was, well, we can try this and there's a chance we get him back this season. If he had the surgery, his season would have been over anyway. So you're really just losing a few weeks in the in the wash there. And keep in mind, we're two months away from OTAs. We are four months away from training camp. He doesn't have to be 100% ready right now. So I don't think that that, I don't want people to take that as, oh, he's he's behind schedule or he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. At this point, I think you are still in the recovery timeline. And you really just want to see that the real question is whether he's going to be out there at OTAs anyway. If he's not going to be at OTAs anyway, and you're talking about June, then he has three months to to rehab. So I'm not worried about it. I don't think anyone else should be. Um, I think the team is very comfortable with where Mike Thomas is. And I think Mike is very comfortable with where Mike Thomas is, considering he's decided to come back. So if you heard the people in the background, we're talking to DA at the NFL owners meetings in Phoenix. I was not there. I didn't get to go out to Phoenix this week, but 
you know, he talked for about 40 minutes and he did hit some other topics, which is what I'll close out with here. The first, he was asked about basically all the free agents that were signed, but the one that I'll play is about Brian Edwards since it was the most recent. And here's what he had to say about the former Raiders wide receiver that the Saints brought in late last week. We, we had a lot of really good grades on him coming out in the draft. And, and so we felt really good about that. We felt good about the relationship that he has with, with Derek. Um, I know when we played them out in, in Vegas in the 2020 season, um, I was impressed with some of the things that I saw in terms of a big physical you know, pass catcher. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's, he's a guy that, that I think, you know, you, you bring him in, you put him in the mix, and I uh, think he's got a chance to help us. Yeah, so if you... Go back and you look at all of the Saints signings this offseason and in most seasons, right? There's going to be some common threads when you're you're hearing coaches talk about why they're here. And you heard a couple of them in this one. They had good grades on them coming out of the draft. So he came out in 2020. Now, this was the COVID year, right? So there was limited scouting. So who knows whether if they had a better chance to take a look at him, maybe they'd have gone after him in the draft. He went pretty early. He went in the third round. And so if you're keeping score, this is the third player that we've heard this about. You heard this about Colin Saunders. You heard this about Brian Edwards. The only difference between Colin and Brian and those two is that Brian was not at the Senior Bowl. So they didn't really get a good look at him there. But I think when you're hearing the Saints say, man, they had a good grade on him coming out. Well, why didn't they draft him? Well, he went in the third round. So like you might have a good grade on a guy, but say, hey, he's probably a fourth round target, right? Or maybe a fifth round target. And so you're not going to pull the trigger in the third round, but now you're going to get a chance at him in free agency. And it just, it's not going to cost you a draft pick. So you're going to bring him in. Right. And so I think that's what you're seeing here is a lot of these guys were potential draft picks for the saints, but got picked a bit earlier than the saints were comfortable drafting them. And now you're taking your shot and bringing them in. The other thing he said was, you know, we're going to work him in, see what he has. And I don't, like I said this before, I don't think he's guaranteed a roster spot by any stretch. He's going to have to come in and earn it. How is he going to do that? Well, going to have to be a contributor on special teams. And he's going to have to prove he can make contested catches. He's going to have to prove he can step in in that Mike Thomas role if Mike misses time. Because I think that this team is very aware of the fact that last year, you did not have that. You, Mike Thomas went down, Jarvis Landry went down, and you played a majority of the season without a real contested catch guy. If you look at the PFF stats, the Saints didn't have anybody with more than eight contested catches on the season, and that was Chris Olave, who only had about a 30% contested catch rate. If you go back to the 2021 season, which is the last season that Brian Edges was really involved in an offense, he obviously went out to Atlanta last year but was not you know, part of that offense at all. It was eventually cut. He had 10 contested catches on 49 targets with the Raiders. I believe that number is right. He had 34 catches. 10 of them were contested. So, I mean, you can say, well, why isn't he getting open so that his catches aren't all contested? But there's still something to be said for the ability to make them and the ability to just go up and get a ball. And and I think that's what Brian prides himself on. And so if he makes this roster, it's going to be because of that. The final thing I will hit from Dennis Allen is the most bizarre storyline that I've seen in a while and also a little a little note that that he threw in there that I was surprised by. And we're going to talk about Foster Morrow. Obviously, he was diagnosed with cancer during his Saints physical. We know that. And he will be stepping away from football as he battles that disease. You know, all the prayers are going to him. 
But here's what DA had to say about learning that news and how how it all kind of developed. Well, number one, number one, I was shocked, you know, because um, I was driving in that morning and and um, you know got a call from Michael Parenton and I'm 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 asking him, you know, was Mickey at breakfast with? With Foster, and he said, "No, you haven't heard yet." And I, was, I said, "No," and, and and he told me what what had happened. And so, first thing is you're shocked, um, and then the second thing I think of is I think about our medical people and the lives that they've saved. Specifically, John Amos. You know, we found the heart condition with Nick Fairley. We found a heart condition with John Dornboss. The, the the offensive lineman that we claimed from Buffalo. We found a heart condition with him. Um, you know, and now with with this, I mean, look, you don't like to find these things, but yet, in term, like you don't want to, you don't want to see these these things be present, but yet, our medical people being able to find these things and really save people's lives is is uh, um, it's amazing, and and I think our medical people do a, do a hell of a job. So there's kind of the story behind it, but if you were listening, you heard Da reference the lineman they claimed from the bills last year and so that's a guy by the name of tanner owen if you remember the saints only made one waiver claim after after the cutdowns to 53 and it was tanner owen from the bills and they brought him in they liked him enough to bring in right and he was waived like four days later with an injury designation. We really didn't get any information on that. He wasn't around long enough for anyone to, for it to make any waves. And he kind of just went his own way. Well, what you heard from DA right there is that he was waived because the medical staff found a heart condition, not dissimilar to John Dorenboss, who he referenced from the Eagles that they traded for from the Eagles who had ended his career. He had to have open heart surgery, Nick Fairley, another situation. So four times since 2017, the Saints medical staff has uncovered a serious medical condition. And you know what? The Saints medical staff has received a lot of flack over the last, I don't know, eight or nine years. Obviously, the Delvin Bro situation, but, you know, and obviously, and, you know, Michael Thomas, I think we've seen throw some shade, but there is something to be said for what they have done here and that, you know, they could have saved all of these people's lives potentially. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I was, I thought it was interesting to hear DA talk about it. But all right, let's wrap that segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the LSU Pro Day, some takeaways from that, some more from Michael Hodges and Doug Marone, who I got to talk to out there. And, you know, what what are the Saints really looking for when they go to these types of things? I'm Jeff Nowak, coming back at you on Inside Lunch.